blessed to finally be with you. And just as Pastor Tony said, I love how you uh, uh, set the meeting up. Is we're so privileged, uh, obviously, that Jesus gave his life for us and died for us. So we, we have a sense of appreciation every service we come in. We honor him. We magnify him. We glorify him because he died for us. We could never thank him enough. And so soon we'll see him face to face. But what an amazing event to watch the earth make preparation for the return of Jesus. You're watching nations get in position. You're watching the church get in position. You're watching man get in position. And we're privileged. I mean, I love that the Holy Spirit's already seen us. And Daniel, he prophesied about you. He said, you'd know your God, you'd be strong, and you'd do exploits. So isn't it wonderful that heaven's already talked about you? Amen. So what a, what a blessing that we've had a revival of the Word over the years. I mean, I, I give you a background on me. I got in this in 1970. My mother, uh, my pastor friend said I had a drug problem growing up. I did. My mom drugged me to church. I mean, as a kid, I didn't want to hear Kenneth Hagin that much, but we went, we went and heard Brother Hagin in 1970, and then he might be in Pittsburgh. We'd get out of school and go to Pittsburgh. He might be in Los Angeles. We'd get out of school and go to Los Angeles. I wasn't that excited about hearing the Word, but I'd do anything to get out of school. So you get around the Word, the Word gets in you. And you said it, it gets a dominion mentality in you. When you see what Jesus did for you 2,000 years ago, it makes you different than everybody. Amen? I mean, there's zero fear in your life. And what a wonderful time to be living right before Jesus comes so that we have this anticipation. And what a different uh, anointing on the last day church, being the ones that are the entrance for the king. So we'll get into all these things that we can tell how close we are. Why would the Lord want us to know this? Now, hang with me. There are more verses written about what it would look like right before he comes. Why would he do that? Because he wants you to have a heads up. He, he loves you so much. It's not about information. It's about how much he loves you. He absolutely wants you expectant, wants you excited, wants you filled with joy. Amen. I mean, think about it. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. So you can't get much bigger hope than all of a sudden you're about to see Jesus. I had one famous evangelist say, Joe, if you teach on the coming of the Lord so much, you'll just get everybody's hopes up. I was like, yeah, that's exactly right. It's the hope that purifies you even as you're pure. So he, he wants you excited because you're about to see him. I mean, right now, you have Jesus appearing to children in Iran. You've got Jesus appearing to children in Malaysia. Uh, I mean, this is it. Every nation, every tongue is getting it right now. We're privileged to watch all these revivals come together for one main revival. And I believe he raised up America to be a voice. I mean, every nation I go to, I'll go to Switzerland next month and preach there. I'll preach in London, and there's crazy Americans there. I preach in Australia, preaching wherever, crazy Americans. Our nation has sown missionaries all over the world. I preach in the middle of nowhere, Palermo, Italy, Germany, Norway, great crazy Americans. So people say, what's going to happen to America? I'll tell you exactly what's going to happen to America. You can't sow into all the world, not reap right in your own land. So what a, what a grace on our land that we have freedom to come on Sunday morning and worship Him and honor Him. So we'll get into all these things. It's a lot of information, but I'll, I'll try not to go too fast. But we'll break things down so that we can see where we are. Isn't it amazing that the devil's taught the church, you can't tell when the Lord's coming back, and it's all bad news. When in fact, it's the opposite of that. You can tell how close you are to his return, and it's all good news. If you hear end-time preaching and it scares you, it's not Bible. That didn't go over very good. I'll say it again. If you, if you hear end-time preaching and it scares you, it's not Bible, because there's no bad news for us. I mean, there's one thing, men would be lovers themselves. Well, you have selfie sticks. you got people taking pictures of themselves everywhere. That's a fulfillment of prophecy. That went over real good. But anyway, praise the Lord. <laughs> so I'm sure blessed to be with you. Why don't you grab your Bibles there, and you just turn wherever you think you ought to turn. We'll see if you're flowing. Praise the Lord. 
Now we'll start with Second Peter and we'll start here. Let's pray and we'll get right into the Word. Lord, we love you today. We're so grateful that you died for us. We're amazed that you gave your life. We're amazed that you let yourself be beaten. Father, help us walk in the full measure of what Jesus left us 2,000 years ago. We thank you for great strength for this hour, great boldness for this hour to run our race. Lord, we look unto you, Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And Lord, we see as we get into these truths about your return, we want to see you high and lifted up with your train filling the temple. This morning, Jesus, we bless you. We magnify you. We glorify you. Jesus, receive the honor. Do your name in this room. We thank you for this building, Lord. We thank you for this season, for this church, Lord. We're so grateful for a season of overflow, a season of increase, a season of ease, Lord. We thank you for it. We thank you for great grace upon every person in this room, Lord, that they would all finish their course. In Jesus' wonderful name, and everybody said amen. Amen. Well, you know, it is interesting that you have all these verses about how close we are to his return, yet people will go, well, we can't tell when he's coming. I mean, just like yesterday, my flights got messed up, so I had to drive up. And I imagine getting into Kansas City, uh, I looked at the signs, you know, for Council Bluffs. It told me how far it was from Kansas City to Council Bluffs. I didn't freak out and go, I'm never going to get up here to Omaha. No, the signs told me how close I was. First sign was 100-something miles. The next sign was like 80. Next sign was like 30. I didn't go, oh, my God, I'm never going to make it. The signs brought me peace because I was getting closer to getting here, okay? We're going to look at some things that are exact, they're precise, they're flawless about how close we are to the coming of the Lord. He loves you so much, He wants you to have a heads up. That's exactly what He said. When you see these things, lift up your heads, your redemption is drawing nigh. So indicating you could be downtrodden right before the coming of the Lord. He doesn't want that. He wants you excited. Could you imagine right before you get married? Well, how many of you are excited the night before you got married? I hope there'd be almost everybody. Come on. (laughs) Could you imagine the night before you're married, being bummed out? We we used to say, another one bites the dust. No. (laughs) No, no, you want to be excited the night before you get married. So the Lord wants the church actually expectant because we're going to see him face to face. That's a picture of the church. The church should be so excited that people think something's wrong with you because you're so happy. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in this world. Amen? So let's get into these truths. Grab your Bible there and go to 2 Peter, if you would, chapter 3, and we'll look at verse 1. He says here in verse 1 of chapter 3 of 2 Peter, This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. Notice he calls you his beloved. When you get into end-time preaching, it's different from the Gospels from the epistles. If you look at end-time preaching just in the Gospels, you'll feel like you don't qualify. Because you don't. He hadn't been raised from the dead. The tone changes once you get into the epistles. He's not mad at you. That's good news. Amen. (laughs) So then he says in verse 2 that you'd be mindful of the words that were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandments of the apostles and Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, they'll come in the last days, scoffers, walking after their own lusts, saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. So he gives you a couple thoughts here, the climate that people will be scoffing. Interesting. People are, ah, we've been hearing that all of our lives. You know why you've been hearing that all your lives? Because he's coming. So that, that kind of weird mentality has kind of crept into the church where people are going, well, I've been hearing that, but I haven't seen him. I mean, my mother used to say this to me as a kid, Jesus is coming tonight. It scared me so bad. Remember all the movies, you know, Thief in the Night and all that? Well, my mom would, would kind of hold that over me, the Lord's coming tonight. I'm like, Lord, I love you. I mean, it'd, it'd freak you out, but you, you either respond with humility or haughtiness. So the world's getting ready for seven years of tribulation because they're so haughty, hard-headed, like I'll do whatever I want to do. Well, we'll see how that works out for you during the tribulation. 
So, so it, we think of it as judgment, but really it's mercy to put pressure on people to accept Jesus. Amen. So the response to this is, hey, there will be scoffers saying, where's the promise of his coming? Well, the next verse tells you what's going on. Look at the next verse, verse 5. For this they willingly are ignorant, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. Basically, they forgot about the flood. The scoffers go, well, change is not going to come. Well, change came when no one believed it. Could you imagine Noah pastoring? I mean, telling people, hey, get in the ark, it's going to rain. They'd never seen rain before. They mocked him. Well, the flood came whether they liked it or not. So change came when no one believed a change is coming. <laughs> Amen. So the Lord warns us in that kind of climate to get ready for change. It's sad that Hollywood has more of a sense of change than the church. You got movies about zombies. You got movies about a resurrection. I got friends that watch The Walking Dead. I'm like, you watch that show? It's the weirdest thing on the planet. Uh, walking dead people, because see, they sense a resurrection, but don't know what's coming. Jesus is coming. There is a resurrection coming. The dead in Christ are going to rise first, and we're going to go up to meet them in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So it's sad that they're more up on a change than the church is. Change is coming. Jesus is coming. I mean, you can look at the earth right now and look at just the spirit that's in the earth. It's just like before the days of Noah. Amen. Corruption and violence. Man, it doesn't get any weirder than that. So, so with all this, why do we get into this? Let's go and look. Look at verse 17. We, look, we get into end-time preaching. Verse 17, Peter says here, You therefore, beloved, seeing that you know these things before, he said, Beware, lest you also, being led away with the air of the wicked, Fall from your own steadfastness. So the teaching on the coming of the Lord is to keep us from, from falling from our steadfastness. Six times when the Bible talks about the rapture of the church, it has the word steadfastness with it. He wants you in position, not moved. That's why he's sown so much word into us that nothing moves us, nothing shakes us. Amen? Amen. There's a strength in you that no other generation's ever had. I mean, just this morning, I know the flavor of your church coming in, your worship, the word, the attitude toward Jesus. We know we're redeemed from the curse of the law. Come on, there's a knowing in us that, that the greater one's on the inside of us. So, so there's a steadfastness in you. Nothing shakes you. Nothing moves you. I am moved by something, the word. I'm not moved by what I see, not moved by what I feel, moved by what the word says about me. Oh, come on. And we can go on that. Whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. So, so we're different than even the guys in the 50s that were wonderful during the healing revival. You can watch the videos of A.A. A. Allen and all those different guys. You have more word in you than they did. So we're very privileged. So it keeps you somewhere. Where does it, where does it keep you? Steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So knowing that your labor is not in vain, it keeps you active and keeps you steadfast. So, so why do we get into this? So it keeps you unmovable, keeps you filled with joy, filled with strength, filled with mercy. It keeps you fit to meet him face to face. Think about that. Gets you fit to have a level of joy that he has all the time. Amen. Because in his presence is fullness of joy. I hear people go, they'll go, well, I'm a real prayer. No, you're not. You'd be happy if you prayed. Come on. <laughs> Don't get mad at me. Come on. Because like, you see people that they look like someone shot their dog. What, what's wrong? Well, I'm a real prayer. Come on. You, you spend time with Jesus. It makes you filled with joy. So let's go look at this. Go over to Isaiah and we'll get into a little bit more before we get to the signs of his return. Because once we get into the signs, it's just, it's just blatant and so cool. So go to Isaiah 46 if you would, for just a minute. And this is another reason we get into end times for a moment. Isaiah 46, look at verse 9. 
It's page 819 if you've got a Bible like mine. Look at Isaiah 46. This is so amazing here in verse 9. Remember the former things of old. I'm God. That's pretty cool. There is none else. I'm God. There's none like me. You don't really hear him talking like this, but watch what he says. Declaring the end from the beginning, and from the ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. He basically said, This is how you can tell the book's authentic. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen before it happens. So the devil hates prophecy because God goes, I'm going to tell you future before you get there. Now, no other religion can do that. You can talk to a Buddhist. You can talk to a Muslim. Their book doesn't give you future. This is the only book that gives you future. A third of this book is prophecy. Paul talked about the baptism 12 times, coming of the Lord 52 times. For every one verse there is about the first coming of the Lord, eight times more about the second coming of the Lord. So the, so the book is filled with info about what it would look like right before he comes. In fact, there's more verses written about that than anything. Why? So we could tell how close we are. <laughs> so watch what he does here. Listen, this is so cool. Listen to this for a minute. This is a lot of info, but run with me for a second. Listen to the first ten names of guys in the Bible, and it shows you the flawlessness of God. All right, I'm going to run through it so it's a lot, but hang with me, okay? Adam means a man. Seth means appointed. Enos means mortal. Canaan means sorrow. Mahiliel means the blessed God. Jared means shall come down. Enoch means teaching. Methuselah means his death brings. Lamech means despairing. And Noah means rest. Put them all together. Man is appointed mortal with sorrow. The blessed God shall come down teaching that his death brings the despairing rest. Gives you the entire plan of redemption with the first ten names of guys in the Bible. So he, he's flawless about watching over his word to perform it. I mean, the, the precision of the Bible is, is amazing. Listen to the prophecies about the first coming of the Lord for just a second before we get to all the second coming stuff. Okay, it was prophesied that he'd be born in Bethlehem of the tribe of Judah. He'd be preceded by a messenger, enter into Jerusalem on a colt. They'd gamble over his robe. They'd pierce him in his side. He'd wear a crown of thorns. He'd be quiet before his accusers. This is one I like. It'd get dark in the middle of the day while he's on the cross. Because I've witnessed to people about those saying, how did, you know, God told them what was going to happen right before it happened. He goes, well, they read those and brought them to pass. I said, an eclipse? Come on. I mean, so the flawlessness of it. You know what the odds are of all those happening in one generation? This is just statistics, which I didn't like geometry. I like geometry, but I didn't like algebra, and I could not stand statistics. If you had that, I was lost as a, as a goose in a snowstorm in statistics. But... <laughs> Okay, listen to the odds of all those prophecies coming to pass in one generation. 483 trillion times a billion times another trillion. It's 483 with 33 zeros afterwards. In science, it's absurd after so many zeros to think that it happened by chance. Didn't happen by chance. God said it, came to pass. God said it, came to pass. But yet there's eight times more verses about the second coming. That was the first coming. So the Bible's loaded with info about what it would look like. Why? So we'd make changes in our lives. There's not a lot of protocol to all of a sudden meet God face to face. All of a sudden we're going to be raptured. We're going to be caught up. And the first thing you're going to see are those eyes as a flame of fire, feet like undefined brass, voice of many waters. It'll thunder and it'll echo. And you'll go, how did he let himself be killed for me? That mercy, that kindness, and that goodness. So we're so privileged to be the group of people right before that. So let's get into all these verses that show us where we are so we can make some changes. We can, we can accelerate our pace. It's all just like a football game when the two-minute warning sounds. You don't freak out. You just you, The intensity changes. 
Could you imagine somebody in the two-minute warning sounds and you go, well, don't tell me how much time we have left. No, you're continually looking at the clock so you can get your plays done. So there has to be a two-minute warning in the church. Why? You do things differently. There's an intensity that's different. The plays at the very end are more critical than the ones at the beginning. You can kind of be casual at the beginning. You miss a pass, no big deal. Man, you can't miss any passes when there's two minutes left. The church has to get that two-minute warning mentality. So let's go look at some verses and run through the signs to show us where we are. It's very plain and very easy to see. So grab your Bibles there and buzz over to Luke. And let's start with Luke 21 because we're going to get into the things that we can uh, uh, see so clear. Luke chapter 21. Look at verse 24 of Luke 21. And we'll go through these because they'll bless you, they'll encourage you, they'll strengthen you. Absolutely no bad news for us. Only wonderful things. Even in a day of lack of hunger, you've pushed through that and you're here Sunday morning. Amen. You're, you're hearing the word. Hallelujah. Someone, somewhere, someone prayed for all of us or we wouldn't be in church. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So look at Luke 21. Let's start with these. Luke 21, verse 24. It's real clear here. Jesus here talking. In verse 24, they'll fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive unto all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down to the Gentiles until the times... Of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now that's a pretty bold statement saying that timing is tied to a city. When you see Jerusalem on back, you basically said you can tell time's up. Well, what happened in 1967? Jerusalem was won back. I mean, a miracle. I mean, just crazy that all of a sudden Jerusalem's won back by the Jews. Well, that's that's pretty radical because uh, uh, that's in our lifetime. Now remember, everything revolves around Jerusalem. If you live uh, east, west of Jerusalem, you read left to right. If you live east of Jerusalem, you read right to left. Everything goes back to that piece of real estate. I mean, have you, how many of you are ever in real estate? What's it all about? Location, location, location. <laughs> you can go up on the Temple Mount, which I've done many times, and there's flies everywhere. Beelzebub, Lord of the Flies. Lucifer wants that spot where Jesus is going to reign forever. You can go up on the Temple Mount and inside the Dome of the Rock in Arabic it says in a circle, there is no Son of God, there is no Son of God, there is no Son of God, because there is a Son of God. Gave His life for you, amen? The devil's such a liar, liar, pants on fire, amen? The devil's so stupid, you can go to Jerusalem, you don't even need a tour guide. There's a mosque right there, what happened? That's where Jesus was beaten. There's a mosque over here, what happened there? That's where He's raised from the dead. There's a mosque over here, that's where His ascension was. The devil's so stupid, he thinks he can hide where Jesus did something important. All it did was give you a tour guide. You go, well, Jesus did something cool there. Jesus did something cool there. I mean, just, the devil always overplays his hand. So you don't even have to have anybody tell you. When you see a moss, obviously something supernatural happened right there. So Jesus tied timing to that city being won back. I mean, the miracles that happened in the Six-Day War, I don't, I don't want to go through all of it, but one of the ones was pretty cool. Remember, there were 88 Egyptian tanks coming down on Israel. One Israeli cook he goes, you know what, if I'm going to die, I'm going to go out in a blaze of glory. And jumped in a tank and started figuring out how to put shells in the tank. Next thing you know, he starts firing shells at the 88 tanks. One Israeli tank against 88 Egyptian tanks. Next thing you know, the Egyptian commander comes out in the morning with a white flag. He said, I'm here to surrender to the highest ranking officer. The Israeli guy goes, highest ranking officer? It's just me. <laughs> He goes, he goes, no, no, it's not just you. The whole night, the countryside was filled with tanks with men dressed in white. You've been shelling us all night, and we can't take it anymore. It's called a miracle. Last year, I was in Israel. The newspaper came out from Saudi Arabia saying, we still don't understand how Israel won the Six-Day War. 
and they attributed it to those men dressed in white on the front of the tanks. They didn't want to call them angels, but it's supernatural. So, so Jesus tied that, that city being won back, because everything revolves around Jerusalem, to some timing. But watch how clear he gets. He's even going to get clearer. Look down at verse 29. He's going to give us more info. So look at verse 29. He says, well, we'll look at this. This is a parable. He said, he spake to them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. And the fig tree is the nation of Israel. The other trees are the prophetic nations around Israel that they were altered in the last hundred years. But watch what Jesus says to make it even clearer. Everything he says about this is so you can see it. He says, look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they now shoot forth or bud, you see and know of your own selves that summer or harvest is nigh at hand. Wow. Likewise, when you see these things come to pass, run into the woods and buy all the brownies and macaroni you can because it's going to be horrible. <laughs> no. No, he didn't say that. You'd think he said that, but he didn't say that. He said, no, likewise, when you see these things come to pass, no. No that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. Why is he giving us this info? So, so we can know this. He even said and compared it to the springtime. I mean, in Tulsa, man, in the wintertime, the grass is brown, the trees are brown, but I mean, it just looks dormant. But all of a sudden, in March or April, all of a sudden, the trees begin to bud, the grass starts turning, you're like, wow, season change. Thank God summer's coming, amen? Nature preaches to you there's a season change. He said, just as bold, likewise, just as bold as you are about that, I've never seen somebody in the spring go, hey, summer's not coming this year. What? What are you talking about? The trees are turning. The grass is turning. I mean, it's preaching to me. There's a temperature change. Likewise, just as bold as you are about that, when you see Israel made a nation of Jerusalem one back, you could see this and you could know this. In other words, be just as bold. Don't go, well, summer's not coming. No, summer's coming. The trees are, bre are breaking out. They're budding. He said, when you see the fig tree bud, that's the nation of Israel, 1948. God regathered them earlier even than that. We'll get back to it here in a minute. But he brought them from all over the earth back to that little piece of real estate. Most of them don't even know why they're there. They said, something drew me back. Come on, Lucifer killed six million Jews right before they were brought back, thinking I can stop the word of God from coming to pass. He couldn't stop the word from coming to pass. And in our lifetime, the fig tree budded. So you had the fig tree budded in 48, and you have Jerusalem back in 67. Jesus said, when you see that, you can see and you can know. Kenneth Hagin used to prophesy about a spirit of seeing and knowing on the church. Where'd that come from? That verse right there. So we'd know where we are in time. Now, hang with me for a minute. This is a lot of info, but buzz with me for a little bit, okay? How many are still glad you came today? <laughs> How many are glad you're here and not in jail? Come on. <laughs> Better be in church. Praise the Lord. All right, let's talk about this for a minute because this is so, so amazing. I want to get into it for just a minute. I know it's a lot of info, but hang with me. 1917. This is a big deal because our country did something last year, 2017. Our country made the proclamation to move the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Well, you back up 100, it had to be done in 2017, uh, John, uh, uh, what's his name, Hagee met with President Trump, said, you know what, we should move the uh, embassy. The next day, uh, the president said, we're moving the embassy. Okay, that was a big deal, because 2017 was 100 years uh, from 1917. Gosh, this is a lot of info, but run with me mentally, okay? Allenby flies into Jerusalem in 1917. On a biplane. They've been passing out leaflets everywhere. You know, those days before they would bomb or do something big, they'd pass out leaflets. The leaflets were, Allenby's coming, Allenby's coming. 
All right, Allenby, he's a general from Australia. His name in Arabic meant a prophet sent from God to deliver you your land. So they thought, well, we can't fight God. Let's lay their guns down. So in 1917, uh, Jerusalem basically is turned over to the Jews in what we call the Balfour Declaration from England. Right now, the Palestinians are suing England because of that declaration in 1917. I know it's a lot of info, but guess what else happened in 1917? Hmm. Kenneth Hagin was born. Okay, the Lord told his mother, the Lord appears to his mother before he's born uh, and says that he'd have a part in getting the earth ready for the second coming. Not everything, but a part. Told him to name him John. She didn't name him John, she named him Kenneth. Don't you love that? I want you to name your son John. Yeah, yeah, whatever, I don't like that name. So anyway, <laughs> I love that. I mean, Jesus goes, name your son John. Yeah, I don't like that. So, but uh, uh, look up the word Hagen in the Hebrew. You know what it means? One to go before to prepare people for the coming of the Lord. Basically, the identical definition of John the Baptist. 1917, he's born. Hang with me. 50 years later, Jerusalem's won back. 50 years later, we make the proclamation to move our embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. So there's some precision things happening here. And, you know, I've preached all over the world. And, and guess who's there? Rama graduates because of Kenneth Hagin's ministry. With no fanfare whatsoever, zero flash, the word, the word, the word, and the earth's quietly getting ready for the second coming of the Lord. So we're so blessed. But now hang with me. We've got a bunch to go through. Jesus said, if you see those two, you're it. So watch what he says next. Now, I'm so glad Jesus said this and not some end-time preacher. Notice what he says here in verse 33. Verse 32. You ready for verse 32? Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all is fulfilled. Wow. He said the group of people sees those two events will not pass away till all is fulfilled. What two events? Israel made a nation and Jerusalem won back. He said the generation or the group that sees that, you're it. Now that's pretty radical. I hear people go, I don't like that. It don't matter. <laughs> I, mean, you know I mean, it's like I hear people go, I'm not comfortable with that. It don't matter. It's like... The early church didn't stand around going, guess what? We're the early church. No, they just knew to get the message out. None of us have ever been an end-time church ever before, but you are it. Now, he said, if you see those two, you're it. I got 50 I can give you. He said, if you see those two, you're the generation. But you got, you got sign after sign after sign. You've gone from signs of the coming of the Lord to signals. You got blood red moons, you got the Bethlehem star, you got all kinds of stuff. The Lord's gone from signs to going like, hello, I'm coming back, to like trying to wake everybody up. Like trying to make it as blatant as he possibly can. If you're remotely paying attention, you'll lift up your head and you'll get excited because you're about to see Jesus face to face. Doesn't get any cooler than being that generation. I mean, you almost got to pinch yourself and go, wow, I'm that group. So let's run through some of the others because it builds a case for us because it makes us bolder. All right, the next sign is the Hebrew language restored. Because God said, right before the coming of the Lord, I'll restore unto them a pure language. hundred years ago, no one spoke Hebrew. Now they all speak Hebrew. Google it. See when it's ever happened before. Never. You can't find anybody speaking Canaanite. You can't find anybody speaking Amorite. You can't find anybody speaking Hittite. But you can find people speaking Hebrew. I mean, one of the years I was in Israel, a buddy of mine goes, Hey, I'm going to get you to go in and meet with Ariel Sharon. Now, I'm a hillbilly from a small town in Louisiana. I thought, what am I doing meeting with Ariel Sharon? This is like 2001. So I'm nervous, you know, and the, the leather chairs are there, the pictures of Ixak Rabin and uh, Moshe Diane, they're all there, you know, uh, Ben Gurion. I'm freaking out, going, man, I'm in this room, I'm way over my head, what am I doing in this room, you know? And I thought, well, while they're, I'm waiting for them, I'll get me a, a, a pencil with some Hebrew writing on it. That'd be kind of cool to have a, have a souvenir. I grabbed the pencil, and it was made in Iowa. 
I thought, <laughs> I thought this ain't cool. I want something with Hebrew on it, you know. And as I, I'm standing there kind of mad because it didn't have Hebrew on it, I can hear them walking down the hall, speaking perfect Hebrew. hundred years ago, no one spoke Hebrew. Now they all speak Hebrew because God said He would do this right before the Messiah comes back. So in your lifetime, you've seen Israel made a nation. You've seen Jerusalem won back. You've seen the language restored. It's a miracle because Jesus is coming back. All right, the next one, there's a big one, is the Ethiopian Jews brought back. Because God said, I'll bring them out of Ethiopia right there at the very end. 18,000 Ethiopian Jews airlifted in one day. These C-130s from Israel came down in. An American man paid for it, paid $30 million. He was known for running from the law. He was living in Europe to stay away from the American law. And he said, you know what, I'm going to do a good deed for the Jews. And our country uh, uh, pardoned him. These C-130s went right down into Ethiopia, airlifted them all out in one day. Miracle. CNN, this is even more of a miracle. Chuck Chuck Roberts on Headline News, he said an exodus that eclipses the book of Exodus. Listen, when you got guys on CNN preaching about how awesome God is, you better lift up your head, the Lord's coming back. Amen? (laughs) He said an exodus that eclipses the book of Exodus. Why did it eclipse that book? It happened in one day. I mean, you had ladies having babies on those, on those C-130s. They said, what do we put on our birth certificate? Were they born in Ethiopia? Were they born in Egypt? They were born in Israel? Put airborne. Come on. You don't know where. <laughs> Amen. I mean, it's a miracle that God brought them out in one day. Why? Because the Bible said he would do that. Amen. If you want to get technical, the queen of Sheba met with Solomon. Sheba means seven, indicating right after the house of the Lord was complete, you have seven-year tribulation. What did she bring Solomon? 666 talents of gold. So somehow with that uh, uh, life there with him, uh, God promised he would bring them out of Ethiopia. When did he do that? In your lifetime, 1992. So you got Israel made a nation. You got Jerusalem won back. You got the language restored. Then you got the, the Ethiopian Jews brought back. Now these are all things that you can physically and tangibly look at. All right, the next one, pretty radical, is the revival of the Roman Empire. The United States of Europe. I mean, I go to Europe every year. Last year I was in Norway, flew to Nice. They don't even staff your passport anymore. Next week, two weeks, I'll go to uh, uh, Geneva. Then I'll go over uh, into Switzerland, come back into France. They won't even stamp my passport because it's the United States of Europe. They have the woman from the book of Revelation on their money. Now, it gets even more radical than that. Go to their Capitol building in Strasbourg, France. I wish I had a picture of it. I have it on my phone. Their Capitol building is identical to the Tower of Babel. Not similar, identical. And they even Their proclamation they put forth is basically, we don't want God, we'll, we'll be our own gods. I mean, it's horrible. They don't realize that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen? You should Google that this afternoon. Google the Capitol building in Strasbourg. I mean, it's just weird that it's identical. You can look at the markings inside the building, and it's all from Nebuchadnezzar. They don't even realize it's all that stuff. You can go out in front of the building. There's a molecule of iron. You know how you have art in front of buildings? It's a molecule of iron magnified because Daniel saw iron and clay right before the coming of the Lord. It gets even weirder, man, when you look at all the stuff they've done. CERN is a company in Switzerland there where the particle collider is, where they're looking for the God particle. You should look up their logo today, CERN, C-E-R-N. Their logo is 666. I mean, it's kind of like you think someone would go, hey, this is not a good logo for us. Because <laughs> inside the building there at the, in, at the, in Strasbourg, the computer's called the beast. I mean, it's just crazy. So they're, they're fulfilling prophecy and don't even know it. So in your lifetime, you've got all this stuff happening. But let's go through some more. I mean, there's, there's more. You've got the fertility of the land of Israel. hundred years ago, Mark Twain was there. He said, the land is so desolate it won't support life. 
Yet Israel produces 90% of the fruit for all of Europe. Now think about this morning. Uh, uh, I had some fruit in my room. They put some wonderful things in there. What if I ate the banana and said, made New Jersey? Ate an apple, made New Jersey. Eat a pear, made New Jersey. I go, man, what's up with New Jersey? Well, Israel's the size of New Jersey, yet produces 90% of the fruit for the whole continent of Europe. Because God said, I'm going to make the land be so blessed, it'll preach for me. Oh, come on. Isn't it sweet of the Lord to do all these tangible, physical things that we can see? I was up on the border of the Golan one time, and you can see, no one has to tell you where Syria starts. There's lush green grass, and there's brown dirt. I remember one of the times I asked one of the guys, a friend of mine there, an Israeli, uh, he's, he's a character. I said, now, how do you guys sprinkler that grass, and how do you use Scott Super Turf Builder? He goes, we don't sprinkler it. We don't do anything. To get my grass to look like that grass, i got to put Scott Super Turf Builder on it four times a year. I even called Scott's and told them, hey, your fertilizer, this is this last year. I said, your fertilizer's not working. And they said, yeah, we kind of detuned it because it was too stout. I said, well, I like it stout. It makes my grass green. Israel puts nothing on their dirt, and it looks better than me fertilizing my grass four times a year. Because God's word, he said, I'm going to make the land preach for me. I'll bless it. Oh, man, it's awesome. Uh, up there on that edge, you're looking over the, the Golan, you see Damascus. And the Bible says Damascus will be removed from being a city. I mean, it's kind of crazy because guess what's in Damascus? Hezbollah has a chemical weapons plant in Damascus. Israel's already hit that plant four times. Man, we need to get into all that. Right now, you've got sign after sign after sign after sign after sign after sign after sign of the Lord coming back. Probably my favorite is the predatory birds. I know this is a lot of info, so just run with me for a minute. We won't, we won't go too long because I want you to come back tonight. I like that John Osteen says, He who preaches short shall be heard again. <laughs> so I want you to come back. But this one's kind of crazy. I'm watching the Animal Planet channel a few years ago, and I'm an ESPN kind of guy, but I, for some reason I was watching Animal Planet, and this Israeli ornithologist came on. The only reason I know what an ornithologist is is my brother was one. It's a bird specialist. He went to college for nine years to study birds. My dad said, what'd you learn? He said, I learned how to play poker. But anyway, <laughs> not wasn't money well spent. But anyway, this Israeli ornithologist, she said, it's the largest gathering of predatory birds ever in history. 172 different species of predatory birds started showing up on the land. She said, we don't understand it. Man, I freaked out. I go, I understand it. Right after the rapture of the church, you have the Ezekiel 38 war. God calls on the fowl of the air to come clean the land up. Seven years later at the Battle of Armageddon, he calls on the fowl of the air to come clean the land up again. you got the cleanup crew in Israel right now. Now, see, nature's moved into position. Russia's moved into the Ukraine. Russia's moved into Crimea. Russia's got bases all over Syria. You have all these groups of people in position because the Lord's about to come back. You have a Russian base 1.8 kilometers from the border of Israel. It's filled with Iranian troops. Now, why is that a big deal? Because Russia's going to attack Israel right after the rapture. So they're set up to do this. All right, so you got birds in position. <laughs> you got Russia in position. Let's talk about another group. You have the Temple Mount Institute. This is another sign. Pretty radical. I mean, you got the group of Jewish men. Their last name's Cohen. They've been going to school for 20-something years to have sacrifices. They have all the instruments ready for sacrifice. Why? Right after the rapture, it's going to revert back to Old Testament time, and they're going to start having sacrifices again. The group that runs the sacrifices are all there. This last year, they had a sacrifice on the edge of the Temple Mount and didn't get arrested. Last year, they got arrested. You can go to the Temple Mount Institute. It's amazing in the old city of Jerusalem. They have everything ready. What's crazy is the red heifer was born this, well, just a couple months ago on the land. 
First red heifer born on the land in 2,000 years. That's pretty crazy. The London Mirror newspaper gave three signs for the coming of the Messiah. This is a secular newspaper. This is two weeks ago. They said, number one, the red heifer was born on the land because the Bible says there would be one. Number two, there was fish in the Dead Sea. Showed pictures of the fish in the Dead Sea because the Bible says that's what you'd see right for the coming of the Lord. And the next one, there was a snake that crawled out of the wall of the Western Wall. Now, that's not really a sign of the Bible. It would freak them out. But I mean, well, you have a secular newspaper embracing the coming of the Lord. Why? Because Jesus is coming back. So you have all these tangible, physical things you can look at. It's pretty amazing. Probably my favorite is Aerosmith. Stephen Tyler got saved. Yeah, the lead singer for Aerosmith. Now listen, when Aerosmith's getting born again, you need to look up. <laughs> Jesus is coming back. Come on. It doesn't get any crazier than that. And guess who led him to the Lord? Lenny Kravitz is the one that led him to the Lord. So, so when Lenny Kravitz is being an evangelist, Jesus is coming back. Amen? <laughs> so you have all these groups in position. So think about it. you got birds moved in position. you got Russia moved in position. you got the language restored. you got Israel brought back into position. God brought them back to their land so He can court Israel and He can show off for Israel. Come on. Yeah. Right after we're raptured, Russia comes down on them and He plays rat-a-tat-tat with His baseball bat. Amen. He protects her. And this dispensation is up to the church. The church has authority. Come on. Hitler killed six million Jews and Germany prospered because God's not mad at anybody in this dispensation. Let that sink in for a minute. People go, well, God's judging America. If he did, he did a bad job. When you see God judging places, they're vaporized. Hang with me. Now, hang with me. I want to show you how powerful the church is because God has to take the church off the earth. You have so much authority, you would dictate what happens during that seven-year period. So he takes the church off the earth, and during that seven-year period, there's pressure on Israel to receive Jesus as their Messiah. It's just like Joseph. Jesus will reveal himself to his brethren at the very end. Now, you know, when Colleen and I were dating... Uh, we, we've been married 12 years, and you know, she's a, uh, she was more apt to text than I was while we were dating because I was just learning how to text. You know? And this is back when the old Motorola flip phones. And I can't, couldn't convey uh, uh, em- enough emotion dating my, my girlfriend. You know? So I moved, she, my, Colleen's from Los Angeles. She's from Azusa. So I moved her from Los Angeles to Tulsa so we could court. Well, see, God's moved Israel back to its land so we can court her. He's going to show off for her. You got a seven year period of, of fireworks, man. I mean, it's going to be, I mean, water turning to blood. You got asteroids hitting the earth. I'm preaching in the Ukraine years ago, and I talked about the asteroid that's going to hit that's going to make a third of the waters radioactive. And I said the word wormwood is what it's called. And everybody gasped. I said, What's wormwood mean? Chernobyl. So, see, the earth's getting ready for all this stuff, <laughs> whether we're ready for it or not. And, and, and God's got seven years of, of, of fireworks. I mean, hang with me. In high school, you know, I'm dating girls, and you know, every single date I would take fireworks with me, and I'd pull over on the side of the road, and I'd light Roman candles off, so I'd shoot fireworks off, so I'd say, you can't say you didn't go out with me and didn't see fireworks. <laughs> I didn't do it once. <laughs> I did it many times, over and over and over again. Why? To get the girl's attention. So God's got a seven-year period of basically fireworks. So you're watching the earth get ready for that seven-year period while the church does what it's supposed to do, and that's finish off the book of Acts. You're writing your own chapter of the book of Acts. You're writing your resume for what you'll be doing during the millennium. Now, the rapture of the church is not an ending. It's a beginning. Everybody goes, well, I don't want the Lord to come back because i got so much in my heart. It's because you're going to live forever. 
You're not done at the rapture. We're coming back after seven years, and you're going to implement the kingdom for a thousand years. You're tasting of the powers of the world to come. You give me a taste of pizza, that just irritates me. I want the whole pizza. Come on. There are things that are in you. That's why it's frustrating right now because you're not complete. I mean, you're complete in Him, but you're not totally fulfilled because you're going to have a, a thousand years of implementing this stuff, tasting of the powers of the world to come. So God, God's so wonderful to raise up a, a church-age people that will be priests and kings over all the natural generations forever. So you're not done. Because I hear people say, well, I don't want the Lord to come back because i got so much in my heart. Of course you do. You're going to live forever. You know, hang, gosh, hang with me. Go to Matthew 24. We've got to finish these signals off. Go to Matthew 24 real quick. Real quick, real quick. Everybody say caffeine. I was in this service in, at uh, Barry and Sheila Frederick's church in Newtown, Connecticut years ago. And uh, we, we'd been there Sunday through Wednesday. And I didn't know what I was supposed to speak on, sun, on Wednesday night. I'd preach Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Come Wednesday night... I knew to play pin the suit on the pastor. Have you ever been around a Pentecostal service like that where you, you had the pastor come down, you pin a $100 bill on a $50 bill, $20 bill, you buy the, suit a new pa- buy the pastor a new suit. So we were doing that. It was kind of cool. I learned that from some old Pentecostals, you know. And boy, people got excited because they wanted to bless their pastor. It was awesome. And so as we were doing that, the youth pastor brought me a check for my daughter. My daughter's a real missions girl. She'd been to tons of nations by then. She was only like 17. He brought, the youth pastor brought her a check while she's not even there. And next thing you know, another guy stood up and said, well, I have a, a brand new Toyota Camry for the youth pastor. Wow, another person stood up and said, I got a new washer and dryer for that couple. Another person stood up and saw all of a sudden people just started giving everywhere. It was crazy. And that's all I thought, in other words, the reaper overtook the sower right there in that service. Well, I thought, well, I want to be involved. So I saw a young man back there, and the Lord told me to give him my Fender Stratocaster. So I had a cool Fender. So he freaked out, started screaming. He had just asked his mom for a Fender Strat. She said, you better believe God for it. Well, he, he got it right there in that service. It was so cool. So I went to the guitar store to buy me a cheaper guitar so I could get me a cool guitar. And as I'm walking in the guitar store, the Lord said, why don't you learn how to play every instrument? You're going to live forever. And see, we just think right now. We're in this little sliver of time at the very end of the church age when God's doing more things than any other generation. And let's make sure we in the church aren't just just kind of cruising in our life. No, this is it. <laughs> With all these signs happening, we, what, what do we do? We go, Lord, what do you want me to do? Let me help my church. Let me help my pastor. I'm, I'm all in. Could you imagine having all these signs happening and the church sitting there like this? Really? What's going on? I mean, that's kind of the thought pattern of the church. Don't, don't confuse me with all the signs because it might show me how close I am to him coming back. Amen. Amen. So let's go to the signals for a minute. You're there in Matthew 24. Look at Matthew 24 for just a second because I want to give you signals for just a couple of moments and then we'll dismiss. Matthew 24, look at verse 1. And when Jesus went out and departed from the temple, the disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple. He said, See not all these things, verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another, shall not be thrown down. As he sat upon the Mount of Olives, disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? What will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age or the end of the world? Jesus said, Take heed that no man deceive you. Many will come in my name, saying, I'm Christ, and shall deceive many. You'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Nation shall rise against nation, there'll be kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famine, there'll be pestilence, there'll be earthquakes in diverse places. Now look at verse 8. All these are the beginning of sorrows. That's the word birth pains, like a woman going into contractions. Okay, verse 9 to verse 22 is the tribulation. Okay, hang with me. They ask him, what's it going to look like? And he told them really a different answer than what I would. He said, tribulation. 
the tribulation will be a sign for them that I'm about to come. Now, I'm a Holy Ghost guy, so I would say when I see the church operating in the power of God, that would be my sign. But he wasn't talking to the church, he was talking to Jewish boys. Talking to Jewish boys, they said, what's it going to look like? He said, tribulation. You can't get much more active than seven years of fireworks. I mean, people are fishing. We're not catching much. Well, the water turned to blood, dude. Come on. Of course you're not catching much. So God's going to go out of His way to get their attention. But you've got to remember, in the Gospels are all second coming verses. They're not rapture verses. Remember the ten virgins? If you don't have oil in your lamp, you're not going up. It's not talking to the church there. You're talking to the world. I don't need oil in my lamp. I've got the maker of the oil in me. The tone changes. Now, now hang with me. Even in Luke, if you read Luke, Jesus said, Pray that you might be accounted worthy to escape all these things and stand before the Son of Man. I don't have to pray to be accounted worthy. I am worthy. He's talking to Jewish boys there that aren't worthy yet because Jesus hadn't been raised from the dead. Now, I'm saying that because people take verses and preach it to the church and it produces fear. I think I'll do Elvis on that one. Here we go. Come on, hang with me. Because to those words, the Bible, when you hear it talk correctly, it produces zero fear. Now, see, that gets some people mad. That's a religious spirit. When people bow up on you like that, because they would rather think God's a bad God than a good God. He's giving us all this info because He loves you so much. The whole number one thing about all the signs, why would He go to so much trouble? He loves you. He wants it drilled into you how much He loves you. He loves you, He loves you, He loves you. My daughter and her husband are coming this week to Tulsa. When we talk on the phone, I light up when I see her picture come on. I can't wait to talk to her. I'm getting ready to see her this week. I've been plotting. We'll play, we'll play badminton. We'll do this. i got everything set up to have so much fun because I can't wait to see my little girl. If I think that way, think of how the Lord thinks about about you. He, he loves you. He can't wait to see you. All right, so let's go through some signals. Now, here Jesus was, was standing there at the Temple Mount. I'll give you a story from the Temple Mount, then we'll get the signals. I was there one year taking a tour over. I brought a tour to meet up with another lady's tour. And as I got there, I'm in the Garden of Gethsemane where you see the Temple Mount, just right here where they were when he asked these questions. You look up and you see that Temple Mount, and it kind of hits you, wow, that's God's address forever. So I'm kind of freaking out being in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the lady I joined my tour up with, she said, Hey, Joe, I want you to do communion. I said, Okay. And I couldn't remember where the communion verses were. I'm standing there going, you know, I started panicking. Of course, at 1 Corinthians 11, you know, but you got a 1,000 people waiting for you to do communion. I'm like, Oh, God, where's the communion verses, you know? <laughs> but I looked up over the Temple Mount, and I had an open vision. Remember, it's okay for me to have a vision. I'm a young man. Young men see visions. Old men dream dreams. <laughs> this was years ago. <laughs> I've been dreaming dreams for years. <laughs> I look okay for 83. It's okay. Come on. <laughs> so I had this open vision over the Temple Mount, saw angels and demons everywhere. And I'm kind of freaking out because I'm a word guy. And I see angels everywhere over the Temple Mount. And I turned to my buddy, a pastor friend from Germany. I said, Tom DeMond. I said, dude, I just had an open vision. I saw angels all over the Temple Mount. I said, it's the most active area of angels on the planet. He goes, you better come back to earth. You got to do communion. You know how your buddies keep you grounded, you know? <laughs> and right then, it was Billy Brim. She said, hey, an old prayer named Phil Halverson was here, looked up over the Temple Mount had an open vision, and saw angels everywhere all over the Temple Mount. It said, it's the most active area of angels on the planet. I said, see, I'm not crazy. I haven't lost my mind. Telling my buddy Tom. Now, see, what is that? See, that's Jacob's ladder. See, we think of this old rickety ladder. No, it's a place right there, Jerusalem, where angels are going back and forth. Even Jesus even said it. He said, hereafter, you'll see the heavens open angels going back and forth. Come on. That was when he's choosing his disciples. So, see, that realm is real. Amen. So let's talk about the signals for a minute because I've, I've gone longer and I want to go. Hang with me. Hang with me. Let's look at the signals for just about five minutes and then we'll dismiss. Listen to how cool this is. 
Okay, last year and the year before, which is amazing, you had blood red moons on when? Passover and tabernacles. Okay, now what are those? Those are, those are dress rehearsals. What's Passover? That's when he died for us. Okay, what's tabernacles? That's when the second coming will be. He'll come in tabernacle with men. Those were dress rehearsals so that when the real happened, you could tell what it was. Remember John the Baptist? He said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So blood red moons on when? Passover tabernacles. The heavens are going, I died for you, I'm coming back. I died for you, I'm coming back. Pretty amazing. Four in a row. NASA called it a tetrad, four in a row. When's the last time you had four in a row? 1967 when Jerusalem was won back. 1948 when Israel's made a nation. 1492 when the Jews were kicked out of Spain. The gap between the last two was 19 years and 48 years. I told the Lord he's just showing off now because that's the year Israel's made a nation, 1948. So you got the heavens signaling that. In between them, you had a solar eclipse. Because the Bible says before that great notable day of the Lord, the sun would be darkened and the moon would turn to blood. Pretty radical. All right, that, that's amazing in itself. And there's way more you could get into about that. But people say, well, the, the Lord didn't come back on the blood red moons. He's not supposed to. Those are indicators. When you turn your blinker on, you're indicating you're about to turn. You're not, you're not saying you're turning right then. You're indicating you're about to turn. God's so merciful and so kind. He's got the heavens going, hey, something's up. All right, after that, you had the Bethlehem star. Now, this is pretty radical. Remember at the birth of Jesus, you had Jupiter, Regulus, and Venus come together. Jupiter, king planet. Regulus, regal, king planet. Venus, men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Mother planet. Now, you know, remember the Magi? You remember the Magi? Can you imagine traveling 700 miles by camel? My buddies, they would have said, there better be a light show when we get to Jerusalem. If I'm riding on camels for 700 miles, there better be some planets coming together, and it better be brighter than anything we've ever seen in our lives. Well, it was. At the birth of Jesus, you had those three planets come together. Pretty amazing. All right, last year, NBC Nightly News said we have a celestial event. We got Jupiter, we got Regulus, we got Venus. I go, man, I know what that is. That's the Bethlehem star. First time in 2,000 years. At the birth of Jesus, what was the constellation? Virgo. Last year, what was the constellation? Leo. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. All right, then you had Mercury do a flyby of the sun. Does it five times in a century. The planets formed a sickle. The moon formed a sickle. Orion changed his instrument to hammer. You had hammer and sickle on the same day. Why is that a big deal? That's Russia's symbol. So God's telling Israel, you're getting ready to go through the threshing floor. I don't need signs. I don't need signals. I have a witness in my spirit. Every service I've ever been in from 1970 till now, when there was tongues and interpretation, it was always the Lord's coming back soon. I've never heard the Holy Spirit go, hey, you got all the time in the world. No, no, there's always a witness of Jesus is coming back. We talk about all these signs. We don't need all these signs. We're blessed. we got a witness right here. Your, your spirit's telling you soon and very soon you're going to see the king. So the next event for us is the rapture of the church. According to James, you get to finish off the book of Acts in double portion of what the book of Acts has. If you want to be scriptural. And then after that, we're, ra- we're caught up. I don't, I don't think we have very many years left. We're, we're, we're very close to the rapture of the church. I hear people say, well, I can tell you with the year of the rapture. I don't think you can tell, but the Bible says in Thessalonians, you're not in darkness so that day would overtake you as a thief. We'll get into it tonight when Jesus said of that day and that hour, no man knows. He was telling them, I'm coming back for you on Feast of Trumpets. I'll get into that tonight. I mean, it's just, God's so, hang with me. The rapture is going to be on Feast of Trumpets. I don't have time to preach on that. I'll get to it tonight. Think about our president's name is Trump. His vice president's name is Pence, Trump Pence. 
I'm telling you, God, God's amazing. I mean, it's just, it's just absolutely... I'll, I'll prove to you tonight that the rapture is going to be on Feast of Trumpets. It's crazy. I mean, so, so God's doing everything He can to get everybody's attention. You got, you got predatory birds. You got the nation regathered. You got the language regathered. <laughs> you have everything happening around the Temple Mount. Now, Hank, let me give you just a couple more. We're going to go. You have ISIS damming up the Euphrates River twice because the Bible says the Euphrates runs dry and the kings of the east come over the Euphrates River. <laughs> You have ISIS damming it up. You have Jordan this last year telling Israel, hang with me, you can't buy any more land in Petra. I mean, when they said that, I thought, what in the world's going on? Israel's been quietly buying land in Petra. That freaked me out. Why? The Bible says Israel goes over into Petra for safety midway through the tribulation. So you've got Israel that's been buying up land there, don't even know why they're doing it. Okay, it's a real dry area. There's no water there. I watched a video of a water thing came right out of the side of a rock, formed a river the size of this room. A water supply. He's Jehovah Jireh. He's already gone ahead and made provision for them. So you got, I mean, there's just, Ezekiel prophesied about the prosperity of Israel. It was prophesied that Israel would be so blessed. Israel's the only nation that has more trees than any nation that's been keeping count. Number one. It's crazy. So we're blessed. We're blessed. This is it. There, there's about 50 signs to his return. So what do we do as a church? I, I'm all in. Lord, I surrender my life. What do you want me to do? Could you imagine? He said, forsake not the assembling yourselves together, as some would do, especially as you see the day approaching. The signs are to show you that you're approaching the coming of the Lord. So there's great things for us to do. He wants, your, 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 you wants you fervent in spirit, white hot, serving the Lord. No coldness, no bitterness, only mercy, only kindness. Be more merciful than you've ever been. Come on, we're about to see Jesus face to face. So he obviously wants your joy matched with him, but have his mercy. Match his mercy right now. Your neighbors that don't know Jesus, you're, you're the only Jesus they'll ever see. So this is the season to witness. This is the season to be kind. This is a season to walk in love. This is a season because all of a sudden you're going to see him. You, my, my daughter used to get me this little pen and said, Jesus is coming. Look busy. Well, you don't want to fake it. <laughs> you, you, you want to actually be doing the will of God. Amen. Let's bow our heads for just a minute before we go. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your goodness and your kindness. Lord, we're amazed at your mercy that you'd give us so much information about how, what it would look like. So help us, Father, run our race. Every person in this room, Lord, we, we ask you for, for a renewal of fuel to run our race. Thank you for a season of demonstrations of the resurrection, demonstrations of the glory of God, demonstrations that death could not hold you down, Jesus. Jesus, we submit ourselves to doing your will. We thank you for your kindness and your goodness. We're amazed at your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Real quick before we go, I want to give you two quick invitations and we'll be dismissed. I want you to come back tonight. If, if you're here and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, man, let's do it. Make a memory. This morning, give your life to the Lord. Let's get saved today. It's not weird. It's not strange. It's asking Jesus into your heart. He paid the penalty for Adam's sin. I remember years ago, I prophesied in a meeting that I said, you'll see Diane Sawyer preaching the gospel on a Friday night. I remember doing that like in the 90s, going, what? I'm going to see Diane Sawyer, the lady from ABC News, preach the gospel on a Friday night. A buddy of mine called me and said, hey, Diane Sawyer's interviewing Mel Gibson. And she said, 
about the passion. She said, so you're saying Jesus paid the penalty for Adam's sin? Now, when I prophesied that, I thought of her doing like Shambach. My God, you don't know. No, she preached the gospel on a Friday night. So the gospel is Jesus paid the penalty for Adam's sin. If you're here this morning and you don't know what would happen to you if you died, you need to know for sure that you've given your life to the Lord. So with the uplifted hand, say, that's me. Pray for me. I want to give my life to Jesus this morning. I don't want to miss anybody before we go. Real quick, if you're here this morning and you've never done that, I don't want to miss you. I won't embarrass you. I'll pray with you. I will not embarrass you. I'll pray with you. Anyone at all. All right, hallelujah. Looks like everybody's saved. How cool is that? We're all going to heaven. Come on. Amen. One more invitation real quick. You say, well, I'm saved. I've been born again, but I've never had that Pentecostal experience being baptized with the Holy Spirit. If you're like that here this morning, Jesus said you'd be endued with power, not weirdness. Power. If you're here and you've never done that and you want to do it this morning, say, that's me. Pray for me. I'd like to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. What we'll do is actually we'll close the service and we'll do it afterwards. If you're here and you've never done it and you want to do it today, just raise your hand. You don't have to. You can, you can do it whenever you want. But the cool thing about the Lord, He's not pushy. He's so kind. But I know this. If I was going to have a race car, I would want a V8 turbocharged. I wouldn't want a two-cylinder. I've never seen anybody racing going, give me the smallest motor you can. No, he wants you to have all the power you can. Let's thank him for just a second before we dismiss. Let's just thank him that we're saved. Lord, thank you that you gave your life for us. We honor you. We magnify you. We glorify you. We give you glory. We give you honor. We give you praise. We lift up your name, Jesus. We lift up your name, Jesus, before we dismiss. We're in awe that all of a sudden we're going to see you face to face. We give you glory. We give you honor and give you praise.